You're listening to DraftKings Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? Today on Journeyman, we got Mike Ryan joining us, and we talk Joe Thomas to the Hall of Fame, A-Rod's coaching expertise, the conspiracy to keep the Miami Heat down, and so much more. Let's get into it. Who are these guys? It's my theme music. Every good hero should have some. This is an institution of learning, ladies and gentlemen. If you can't control it, how can you teach? Discipline is not the enemy of enthusiasm. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Journeyman, brought to you by the good folks at the DraftKings Network and Metal Arc Media. I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins, seven-year NFL veteran, and I am joined by my guy, media extraordinaire, Mike Ryan, in the building, uh, one of the building blocks here of this house that Metal Arc has built. Am I right, Ryan? Is that, is that a good way to... I think that's why there's active construction on the house, yeah. because I, yeah, I, I was part of uh, yes. the building blocks which is probably problematic. You do not want Mike Ryan in, uh, <laughs> building your foundation. No. How we're rocky. I, I, I'm doing great. You yeah. know why? Why? It's Joe Thomas week. You, you, right into it's it. I like Joe it. Joe Thomas week. This so, is the crowning achievement of the new Browns right now. First ballot Hall of Famer. This is a really big deal. This it's is a huge a deal. deal. So the Hall of Fame, the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame, is in Canton, Ohio. Right? And so Joe Thomas, who is a former teammate of mine, one of my best friends in the world, is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is literally one of the best offensive tackles in history. So it's really cool to finally get to this. Some moment. say the first offensive tackle the in first. history. <laughs> if you're if you're a historian, then you understand that Joe Thomas was the first offensive tackle. You're a former Browns fan. Yep. I say former, right? Yeah. That's that's a perfect way to categorize it. Yeah, because I guess I'm technically leaving the door open. I just miss the. How uh, is it? Yeah. Where are we at on the update? When I, you and the Browns. I, I, because I didn't mind them when Jacoby Brissett was under center. Right. I really didn't. And yeah. when they'd had that Thursday night football game against the Steelers, I was rooting for the Browns. One thing that has stayed with me, mm-hmm. even though the the Browns losses, they had a, a really impossible only Browns can lose this performance yes. against Joe Flacco and the Jets. They happened. And I, was there that, I was at that game. It was a very <laughs> sad atmosphere. And it's kind of how I knew I was healing because it didn't stay with me. Yeah. That would have that ruined my week. Had I experienced that as a Browns fan, and I just kept it moving. And the only thing that's really stayed with me throughout this experience is I still hate the Ravens, Uh and I still hate the Steelers. Not so much the Bengals, oddly enough. And I think the Bengals have a a likable team, in my opinion. Joe Burrow is like one of the most likable players. But I still, I still hate the Ravens. I still hate the Steelers, Mm -hmm. and I root for individual Browns. Like my love and support for Nick Chubb. And Miles Garrett hasn't dwindled mm. whatsoever. I've talked to people that cover the Browns. Uh, I've talked to Browns fans that felt in a similar way yeah. and didn't, couldn't quite bring themselves to do it. For me, it's very convenient because I live in a totally different place to walk away from the Browns. It's easier right. for me to disassociate with it. It was a big part of my identity, but I, I'm I'm operating from a place of convenience. It's a yeah. lot more convenient for me to be able to to step away. But I do think. When the day comes, and I'm under the impression that it'll come sooner than maybe most Browns are prepared for. Okay. That that when Deshaun Watson leaves that franchise or the franchise decides to move in another direction, there's a a pretty solid chance that all those old memories will come flooding back. And this week is a a good example of that, Hawk, because I'm feeling all the nostalgia. I'm feeling proud. I'm feeling proud to have Joe Thomas go into the Hall of Fame. And I think it's perfect that it's – 
a very unspectacular position <laughs> that no one really paid attention to. And in the midst of a whole lot of, in the whole lot of misery, there was this one pillar that was doing it, not just at a high level, but arguably the, the highest level. It's he, the rose that grew from the concrete. He is uh Joe Thomas is such a, an interesting Incredible case because I mean this show is called Journeyman, right? I'm the host and I bounce around from team to team. That's what I do. Yeah. I don't stay anywhere for more than three years. It's just not me. Yeah. Joe Thomas is the complete opposite of that. Because he was what he played eleven seasons in the NFL, ten Pro Bowls, famously had ten thousand three hundred and sixty-three consecutive snaps. He did not miss a single offensive play for that long, the highest streak in NFL history. He did not win ever. Ever. So I mean he was they lost every year. He has the most losses, I think, of any NFL player in history. And I always joke with him, like, you're the biggest NFL loser, and here you are as a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think the coolest part of his legacy was towards the end when he had an opportunity to totally change that narrative and join the Denver Broncos, yes. a team that went on to win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. He was wanted. There was a, a an attractive package presented by the Denver Broncos. Yeah. And I think you told me the story yes. of how he was handling that day. Why don't you he, tell the audience? He was so, like, distraught. And I, I didn't really know what was going on. There were some rumblings that he was, like, potentially a part of a trade. And I wasn't thinking anything of it. And I seen him in the lunchroom. And at this time, we would be talking, you know, all the time. And he just wasn't saying anything. Like, it was just me and him at a table. And his mind was just somewhere else. Now, you know, as players were talking about, like, it, we were excited for him. We were like, yes, man, get Joe to Peyton Manning. Give him a Super Bowl that he deserves. He's the only good player that's like ever here. He's the only one of us that is actually yeah. any good. That doesn't have a drug problem. That doesn't have a drug problem. <laughs> he's never been arrested. He shows up. He's a, he comes to practice on time every day. He does all the things that you want. He deserves to go win a Super Bowl. We were excited for him, and he was the only one who was like he was miserable. And like the the four o'clock deadline comes, and we're all like you know, waiting to hear the the update and no trade happens and it immediately flips. He goes back to being himself because he didn't want to leave. Now, I can be honest on Journeyman because this is what this show is about. That's stupid. <laughs> Joe should have went to the freaking Broncos, yo. Like, I, even to this day, I tell him, like, Joe, are you nuts? And it wasn't like, oh, they might win the Super Bowl. We all knew they were going to win the Super Bowl. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that season, yeah. but it was like, yes, this team is the best. And I was rooting for TJ Ward. I mean, think about to get it. His. They they won the Super Bowl without Joe Thomas, who yeah. and they needed tackle help. So imagine if they had him, it would have been like, yo, this is the this is a layup, man. And Joe wanted to stay in Cleveland, and for that reason, I mean, he is a god in Cleveland forevermore. A lot of people have taken shots as his, uh, his mentality for turning that opportunity down, but it's if, not wrong to take the shots at the mentality. <laughs> I mean, but, you have the result to play, but also Joe is a kind of guy. And if you listen to the work that he did with you on on Tom and Hawk, yep, he is. The eternal optimist. Yes. And once that trade deadline came and went, he probably said, all right, guys, we can make a late season let's, push. <laughs> let's turn this place around. Let's, yeah. let's finish this Cinderella story. Uh, that is not the case. That is not happening. But Joe is going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. I will be there. I'm actually packing all my stuff now. We got a whole weekend planned, and I am so excited to see him finally enshrined, man. There's so few NFL players that make it to that level, so to know somebody as close as I do, I'm 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 just excited, man. He's earned it in every in every way. Yeah, you guys are synonymous. Yeah, for me, I, I when I think of Andrew Hawkins, I think of Joe Thomas. There you go. I love that. And when I think of Joe Thomas, I think of why the hell did any accept <laughs> that trade to Denver? What an idiot! He could have had his Ray Bork moment. Oh, man. All right. So uh, speaking of enshrining, right? So the Lakers are planning to retire LeBron's jersey when he retires. Both numbers. I, that's the question. I don't know if it's both numbers or one, but some people are saying, does he actually deserve it? Jeff, the producer, I always like to, you know, give him shit about his takes in the rundown. <laughs> he, in his mind, it, it doesn't make sense because the Lakers have 17 championships. What does one mean? Is that enough to get your jersey retired in LeBron's tenure? What is your take on it? I think it's very convenient to be able to retire both numbers for LA since no one else in the league is going to wear the number six because of Bill Russell. Okay. In fact, yep. he's going back to number 23 to honor the Bill Russell thing. Yep. Yep. So I, I think it's easy. You have 
Kobe Bryant, who has two numbers retired, we all understand that because yes, absolutely. He, he played at the highest level in both numbers, mm-hmm. where LeBron didn't quite match that resume in terms of titles. This is a, a very convenient thing that you can do because no one else in your franchise has got to wear number six anyways. Do you think that the legends are hating on him? Do you think they're like, yo, why? A, why is LeBron getting his jersey retired? And why the hell is he getting two numbers retired? Again, though, there's, there's a 4D chess element to this. And LeBron... Going back to number six, first off, I think the the decision to move back to number six was part of the recruitment of Anthony Davis. So he promised him 23, and now there's this whole league-wide mandate for people that weren't actively wearing number six that no no one shall be able to wear it henceforth. But uh, I I think it is kind of cool that you see two titans of the game up there with multiple numbers. It, It is a bit of an oddity, but down here in Miami, you have a different question. Because as you know, LeBron James, while he wore number six here, arguably not the greatest number six in franchise history. There's no way he's and not can the you greatest reco- number six in Miami history. Can you retire the number six for LeBron James knowing that you're going to have to also retire the number six of Mario Chalmers? Mario <laughs> Chalmers will get number six and number 15 retired. You are ridiculous. I would assume. Dude, that's, that's, that's ridiculous on so many levels. But I LeBron think Mar- should have a statue in Miami. LeBron, you disagree. I think LeBron deserves a statue here. He deserves getting his number retired in the Lakers, and he also the the arena in Cleveland should be named after him. In that order, that, the arena in Cleveland should be named after him, provided that there's a corporate sponsor that can go on the front of it. Yes, because that's the game that we're True. playing. Now. Nike and I, while uh, the we, Nike LeBron James <laughs> Arena and of while Cleveland, we've Ohio. had this conversation before. And while I will concede that in terms of form, no one performed better in a Heat jersey than LeBron James. He is now, considering what Jimmy Butler's done in the postseason without a title, which is really impressive. Yep. He is now fallen to maybe third place on the medal stand of greatest Miami Heat players of all time. That's ridiculous. Not in terms of form, but in terms of legacy and what they've left behind. In terms of just heart fuzziness. Yeah, I mean, greatness, like, greatness, greatness. So, you, so you're, in your in your opinion, Jimmy Butler is, has been a greater Miami Heat than LeBron James was. I mean, when you look at the the supporting cast. I know he, what I really hope sincerely is that this Damian Lillard thing happens mm-hmm. and Damian Lillard waltzes into the Miami heat. It's best player. I'm a huge Damian Lillard guy and I don't have illusions of grandeur or delusions <laughs> yeah. that, that I, I don't think Jimmy Butler is a better player than, than Damian Lillard. And I sincerely hope that Damian Lillard can get marquee late season playoff games so people can see how great he is, but also Hopefully he can elevate Jimmy Butler to a championship because that's the only thing that's missing from his story as a pro. And that's the only thing missing from his story as a member of the Miami Heat. If he gets that one title, I think he'd do this debate uh, a lot differently. Maybe, maybe. And Dame Willard as well in his legacy. Now Mm -hmm. there's been some rumblings that uh, Adam Silver is going to veto a Miami trade from Dame. How does that make you feel inside as a Miami Heat fan? I think uh, the last time that the league tried this with Chris Paul, most notably, look back, the trade wasn't that bad. (laughs) <laughs> like the trade was great. The trade was a good trade. It was a, good trade. That, it was a fair trade that the league ended up vetoing. So I, I really hope that the league doesn't get involved in that. Well, they're it's, saying it's because like Dame and his agent are basically like, wherever you trade me, we're going to sour it and we're going to go to where we want to go. And there's like this debate of do the players have too much control, right? And that's a very fan centric debate because for me, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? If I have the leverage to say I don't want to play somewhere or I won't show up, you can't make me show up. The, the Who key the is, hell are you talking to? The key is just back channeling and say, there's no way I'm playing over there. Of course. Just be quiet about it. The way that Harden is the way that Anthony Davis was. You, if you have the leverage, that is business, man. It's about who can get leverage and keep leverage. Dame has leverage to say, if you trade me somewhere, I've made so much money, I won't show up. Or I will sour this until I get what I want. So just give me what I want. Adam Silver, I'm sure a lot of teams are like, hey, man, we don't like where this is going. They're kind of. Just fighting a, a losing battle. Just do it quietly while Woj carries water for all the other teams. <laughs> just do it the way that James Harden and Anthony Davis did it. Because Anthony Davis, as we all know, that was a quiet thing. It, it's, Very quiet. This is this is the media elite ganging up against my Miami Heat. You understand that, right? Do you think so? Yes. You think this is a conspiracy yes. to keep the Heat from... Yes. Did they you talk ha- about this on Basketball Illuminati? This is absolutely... The assistant general manager uh-huh. in Portland worked for Draft Express. Okay, which let, me, were, let me write this down. Continue. The assistant general manager okay. in Portland worked for Draft Express. Perfect. Which is a woe entity. Meanwhile, 
the same reporters are carrying water for Daryl Morey, who has these impossible trade demands for a player that also does not want to go anywhere but one place. We all know that James Harden wants to go to the Clippers, and the asking price is ridiculously high. Okay. And there isn't a good faith effort done by local reporters down here, the Miami Herald, Barry Jackson most notably, that the Portland Trailblazers appear disinterested in even engaging the Miami Heat mm. in talks. This is all a campaign fueled okay. by ESPN and Boston-centric media entity, The Ringer, mm-hmm. to prevent the Damian heat. Lillard from going to the Miami Heat because everyone knows... The moment he does. The moment he does, a team that made the finals with the likes of Max Struess mm-hmm. will make it back to the NBA finals and, this time, and, and, and become irrefutable. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, this goes as high as LeBron, who knows mm. that he slides down the metal slam uh, because Jimmy Butler's legacy gets changed uh-huh. if he wins a title. I'm telling you, there's a very clear and obvious conspiracy against Miami. Wow. I appreciate the platform. We Absolutely. Not we enough gotta, people are talking about Not this. enough people are talking about it. This is what Journeyman is here for. This is We're here for the information. Mm-hmm. We want people to understand and know what's going you on. You have too many people saying the other side. Yeah. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just asking you if you'd like to. <laughs> just asking you if you like to think. All right, who has a harder job, Adam Silver or uh, Roger Goodell as a commissioner? Because Adam Silver is like, you know what, I got I to gotta regain some order here. Players, right. Dame, you know, this whole conspiracy. He has to keep that whole conspiracy I'm curious under what wraps. you think because you've been someone that's been uh, involved uh, with the, your your players' association as Roger Goodell oversaw it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm curious to know what you, what you think, but... I kind of think the narrative around each of these commissioners, mm-hmm. Adam Silver and Roger Goodell, are kind of backwards right now. I don't think it's been nearly as good yeah. as Adam Silver's reputation would suggest. He's okay. got a sterling repu- reputation, but when you look at the Mavericks controversy, when you look at the Suns controversy with Sarver and how poorly he handled that, mm-hmm. you, ha- you have this Damian Lillard thing, which I take great offense to. And yeah. while I can readily admit it doesn't match the gravity of those other two situations, we can all agree it's handled pretty poorly. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Goodell is setting records in revenue, setting records in ratings when the medium was thought dead at some point, and we were thinking about having to make major changes to the sport mm, this the change the changes were made the sport is better for it you have superstars and he's created these properties out of thin air and created brand new media contracts i actually think roger goodell's quite good at his job roger goodell might be the best at his job of anybody in professional sports but the question is who had a harder job because roger goodell also has supreme power and supreme leverage because there's so many people in their faceless nameless players and just the quarterbacks, they have leverage because they're the quarterbacks and they're like the faces of the league. Beyond that, it's like you keep those 32 in check. And I wouldn't even say that much, probably quarterbacks 15. You have 15 faces Mm -hmm. to keep on a certain side of the owners and the organization by paying them buku amounts of money and continuing to take it up that you're able to kind of just operate freely. I think Adam Silver's job is probably harder because very much like the Dame Lillard or the James Harden or LeBron James he doesn't really have the leverage to be in complete control because it's such a player-driven league. Like, if LeBron doesn't play, I'm pissed off that I bought tickets. Mm -hmm. If Steph Curry doesn't suit up, I'm mad that I'm there. You were a Browns fan for 20 years, Mm -hmm. and I was out there manning it up, baby. You were showing up. Quickest man in the history of the quickest man in the world, for sure. But you were showing up. You were like, yo, I got to go see Hawk catch these bubble screens and get busy. (laughs) Right? It didn't matter who was suiting up. I got to see Brandon Whedon try to get my receivers (laughs) killed. (laughs) Yes, I want to see it all. But for Adam Silver, I I feel like he just doesn't, his job is harder in that sense. So he has like a favorable reputation because it's like one of those things where it's, you're not really as in control as Goodell. Goodell's got a deal, and we're talking about billionaires here. They're all egomaniacs, right? But Goodell's bosses are the likes of Jerry Jones, it was Daniel Snyder. And when you consider how, how that got spun with the timing of investigation results coinciding with the sale, expertly done from a public relations standpoint, and when you consider the dynamic that Adam Silver walked into where David Stern's bosses may have technically been the other owners in the league, but David Cern was the alpha. The other owners felt like they were working for him. That's crazy. And Adam Silver has this totally different uh, feel. Yeah, it just the dynamics totally different than than it was. Roger Goodell very much has to be the bad guy for the owners, and he has to answer for these owners constantly. And that's that's the job. Whereas Adam Silver is viewed as a moral authority mm. in some respects, and he Guiding. went light on yeah. guys like 
like Sarver. I actually think it's not talked about enough. We all heard so much about how bad Goodell was. And during the Ray Rice stuff, there was a legitimate question as to whether or not he can continue as commissioner. Like this was a real strong narrative in the media. But I actually think since then, Roger Goodell's performed quite admirably. And he's also made probably close to $300 million since then. The sport is in a healthier place since he took over. Hey, keep that money flowing. We'll be right back and talking more NFL and NBA. So we're here in the middle of NFL training camp season. Everybody is super optimistic. Everyone's going to win the Super Bowl. Everybody's team has improved from the offseason. Everybody thinks life is great. And one particular story just doesn't sit right with me. Uh, And it's the DeMar Hamlin situation. I'm going to be honest. It's a a feel-good story. We essentially, and this is, you know, this is not tongue-in-cheek. We watched him die on the field and be brought back to life. And... I remember the press conference where he announced that he was coming back to play football. And ever since then, I was like, this is a terrible idea. And, you know, we always had the conversation about, you know, football being dangerous and obviously uh, head trauma as well as other things that come along with the sport. But I felt like for DeMar specifically, this is for whatever reason playing with fire. I felt like this was a second chance that, I don't know. For me, and this is the guy who's played a lot of football in his life. His family has played a lot of football. Even still, I felt like if I was in that situation, there's no way in hell I'm coming back to play in the NFL. You must really love ball because heaven knows that he'd have a cushy ambassador role waiting for him with the league, with the Bills. He he never has to work another day in his life Ever. if he doesn't ha- if he doesn't want to. He really loves ball. And if he's getting cleared by the doctors, there was a similar situation with Chris Bosh, and the hurdle he couldn't get over was getting cleared. Right. Demar's been cleared. Yeah. It was like a freak act, and it was a freak act. You're talking about blackballing potentially Demar Hamlin for his own good. Oh my gosh, I don't know, man. I just, if honestly, that was one of the scariest moments I think as a former player because I think, and it's funny because that night happened, and my phone started blowing up, and it wasn't from like random people. And it wasn't like, yo, are you watching this? I got probably 20 text messages from former teammates that I hadn't talked to some in eight years. Just being like, yo, bro, I love you. I hope you're good. Because I felt like for a lot of like football players, that's when the boogeyman became real. How real is that specter? Because it, it does loom over and it didn't happen the way that most people in their worst fears expected. Yeah. Right. Because that was a freak accident. Gets hit in the chest and, yeah. and it stops the heart. Mm-hmm. Most people think it'll be a neck injury that does somebody in. Right. The the specter of how violent your sport is and the possibilities of that happen looms over. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things that you don't talk about or address because it just makes it more and more real. I, I honestly I think every player when you go into it, it doesn't matter what level you are, you know that's a possibility. So it's not like, oh no. I can't believe that happened. Maybe fans yeah. have like that perspective as a player. Every game I went onto the field, I in my mind, consciously, I knew that could potentially so be So it's my not fate. it's not hyperbole. No, like, no, no, no. You no, know no. when a quarterback hangs you out to dry in the middle of the field, that's potentially a life altering yes. incompletion. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like that's what makes I think NFL players special is that despite that, you're like I have a job to do. And I have to catch this football or I have to go make this tackle or I have to go make this block or get down on this kickoff and run through these people. And like literally before a game, specifically, I remember playing the Ravens and it was always like this arc of like, I'm nervous, I'm nervous, I'm nervous, I'm nervous, I'm nervous, I'm nervous. Uh, then as we get onto the field, we do warm ups and I start to get a little bit like, yo, I'm pissed off. You at have myself. to get yourself in there. Now I'm pissed <laughs> off at myself for being nervous. And then you get to the sideline and you get this feeling of like, yo, there's nowhere to go. And this is the mindset of a football player. When yeah. it's nowhere to go or you're boxed in, you fight. That is the, that is the mindset. And then they announce Ray Lewis and Ray comes out and he <laughs> does his dance. And everyone's like, oh, man, I wouldn't want to be out there with Ray Lewis. And now I'm pissed off because now I'm like, oh, Ray Lewis, you're trying to kill me. Like literally yeah. in my mind, I'm like, you want to take me away from my family? Yeah. You want to take me away from my son? That's what you think is going to happen? And now I'm like ready to go. And now it's like, 
you know, I got tears in my eyes, and I'm like ready to get out there. In the first play, I'm like, where's, where's Ray Lewis? You got to meet him. I'm a, where's he at? Where's he at? Literally, like literally every single game, but you have to go through this like roller coaster yeah. to be okay with the circumstances and then say. Quite literally psyching yourself up. Psyching yourself out, right? And it's like I told my son this yesterday because um, he's in his first year of football this year. And I'm like teaching him like in football, you have to be full speed all the time. You can't. You can't be halfway. That's what you they always say jog. in practice. If you that's jog, it. that's how you get hurt. That's how you get hurt. But right? also, full speed is also how you get hurt. It's an insane sport. It, it is an insane <laughs> sport. But you have a better, you have a, a higher likelihood of not getting hurt. And he's like, "Oh, when I'm gonna pass, I'm like, I, I'm nervous. I'm gonna drop it. So I'm trying to be measured. I'm like, that's the quickest way to, you know, attract whatever you're trying to do. And I tell him, I'm like, what? You know what the best way of not getting your ass kicked in a fight is? He's like, how? I'm like, by fighting back. Mm-hmm. By fighting. Like, don't sit and take anything. And so Principles, when you're in go football, after the, you go after, go you after the meanest the aggressive, guy. The aggressiveness is what protects you. Yeah. And so you have to have that mindset of like, okay, I know this isn't could be an outcome. How do I prevent it? Well, he can't hurt me if I hurt him. <laughs> I, I, I mean this from a genuine place, and it's not sarcastic. <laughs> you played on some really bad teams. Terrible teams. And you played yeah. historically bad. Yeah. And you also played in the most during an era where the AFC North was the most violent division we had seen. Yes. It was the, like, was the specter of death larger as a Cleveland Brown, <laughs> given that you had to play the Ravens twice a year only and the Steelers twice a year. And even the Bengals who were dirty as all hell. Yeah. When you went up against him. absolutely. It was higher because of who was protecting. And then when you get to the Patriots, you're, you're just, you got there too late. You yeah. I was to, like, I'm, you I'm finally out, I'm arrived done. to a place where you don't have to think about death at every turn. And I was like, yeah, you know what? The thrill's not here anymore. Yeah, Cause you were literally funny. death defying playing slot, having to go over the middle against the likes of it's Ed Reed it's and Ray Lewis. Because what protects you is like the players. And that's why I like, again, and not to circle it back to Joe Thomas, but that's why it's such a big deal because in those teams, he was the one person you could count on. Right. And I think that's why, like, you know, again, I wasn't all everything receiver by any stretch of the imagination, but Joe and I developed such a, a bond because he was like, damn, that little dude does his job every time. Mm-hmm. And in Joe's tenure of Cleveland, that is just not the norm, right? No. And so people who do their job and that you can depend on, you appreciate. And Joe, for 11 years, was the only person within that organization as a player that you could depend on. And sometimes beyond players, like coaches, <laughs> front off, he was the one guy that you knew, okay, he's going to do his job because it is dangerous. When Johnny Manziel, my guy, yeah. but he's when he's high yeah, and he's playing quarterback and you have to run a route across Troy Palomalu, or Ray Lewis, or you're getting you, you, the pitch has to be perfect, otherwise yeah. Terrell Suggs is going to decapitate you, right? You, like you've, ta- you've talked about this previously, but for new listeners, like you recognize when Johnny Manziel was not. Oh yeah, it was bad, man. And, and Johnny Manziel has the documentary coming out on the Untold series on Netflix that I'm sure everybody will be excited to see. And I've I was on that, I was front row seat for that ride. When he went to Las Vegas in a disguise because he was just addicted. Part it's like funny, but also it's, equal it's part sad. Yeah, but it's hilarious because this is like there was like a, a week that him and like we were heading to the game. Well, first off, Johnny's first game starting um, before before the game. Everyone does a walkthrough. Yeah, so there's like a walkthrough you do the day before the game, like Saturday morning before you travel or before you go to the hotel. It's like literally a walkthrough. It's like it's the truest. And the locker room was against us, uh, him starting right. Yes, yeah. because you had I mean, not, not because we didn't like we love Johnny for the Browns, as a you, person. You guys kind of had it cooking with Hoyer. We had it. We had it going. We yeah. had a chance, and you know, business got in the way. And Johnny just wasn't Johnny. I'm sure in the documentary, Johnny's going to tell you, like, yeah, I was high. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't like. So the day before a game, this is his first game starting. They had made the decision. When the coach called me and said Johnny was going to start, I laughed. I thought he was joking. He's like, oh, Hawk, and, you know, we're thinking about starting Johnny. I was like, I was like, you crazy, coach. You you go too far with the comedy. But it was what, Patton, right? what are you calling me for? Yeah, Patton. And I'm and I'm like, coach, he's Johnny sleep every meeting. Like, I don't feel good about the same thing I tell you going against Ray Lewis, that mindset. I don't feel good. Coach Specter of Death. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to save my own life here, coach. You gotta help Increasing. me out. So Johnny, the day before the game, but this walkthrough is like literally a walk. It's just like, hey. Just make sure you're in the right place. My pace is quite literally I'm walking routes and Johnny's throwing it to me. And so the day before the game, it's like the like the, the defense stays out the way. They purposely move so we all the things can happen. Johnny threw three interceptions in that walk. <laughs> <laughs> 
three interceptions, <laughs> and the DBs were catching the ball, and like, like the ball was hitting him in should, the chest. Should I drop this? And they're like, like, there's nobody else over here. I had to catch the ball, and I wish I was being leaked out because I got way too excited about this debut, <laughs> honestly. And it was like just because Johnny had no idea what was supposed to be what, and it was only a matter of time before Johnny just said "f the offense" and just started doing his own thing. But it was like going into the like the Johnny tenure, we knew what it was. We knew what it was. He knew what it was. I don't think we got a first down that first game. <laughs> we played the Bengals. They literally beat the brakes off of us. <laughs> Pac-Man Jones is like saying the craziest shit you could imagine Pac-Man Jones saying in a Johnny Manziel first game starting scenario. Uh, but yeah, that was those are the years, man. Those are the, <laughs> and here I am. This is why I'm hosting the podcast called Journeyman. We'll be back with more stories uh, in NBA and NFL news. Garnett told a story about him hanging out with Snoop Dogg before a game against the Toronto Raptors. Um, and his coach, Coach Saunders, flipped out because uh, he, he said the entire team, after hanging out with Snoop, let's call it they were a little lethargic. We'll say, we'll say that. Uh, which Jeff asked, who are the worst celebrities that you probably want to hang out with before a game? Now, well, the reason why I want to talk about this is because and I talked about it briefly on this, but I've had the opportunity to smoke with Snoop and I turned it down. It's one of my only regrets in life. I've never smoked weed before, actually. Uh, I believe you. Some people. You believe I be- me? I believe you. Really? I don't know if that's a good thing or, or okay. a bad thing. That people you think, think that I'm constantly doing coke. I've never done coke. I just like the way that it smells. Yeah. <laughs> I believe you. Uh, I do believe you. Uh, but, yeah, Snoop Dogg would probably be the worst person to hang out with before a game. But at the same time, in the NFL, players would smoke before games all the time. Yeah. Like it is very. Uh, I don't common. know how normal it was for other teams, but certainly for that Brown scene, <laughs> it seemed like commonplace. I don't know what I was saying about the Brown. This <laughs> whole podcast. I'm sorry. I'm kind of like geeking out to find out exactly the depths of how bad we were. I'm just reverse engineering my fandom right now. <laughs> you drop the nugget that Johnny Manziel threw <laughs> three interceptions Bro. and a walk through, <laughs> and that he was high and falling asleep at these meetings. And all of a sudden, all of these moments where I had unreasonable expectation and excitement, <laughs> I should have just known this was going on. It was, it was crazy. And, yeah. I, and I don't know if everybody knew, but when you're in the locker room, you have like a centralized view at a lot of things. Right. And so again, yeah, a lot of people, you could argue that a lot of people were hanging out with Snoop Dogg yeah. before our games. So who did you hang out with? Before games? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. I was a maniac. No? Yeah, no, I didn't like... Not jo- once? Not once. My first year in Cleveland, I didn't talk to anybody. No? I was so like... Yo, Is that I- a Cleveland thing? What? Is Because I can understand how KG has access to, to Snoop Dogg. Mm-hmm. But in Cleveland, like, who are you going to hang out with? The Miz? Like, <laughs> Shout out to the Miz. I, I love the Miz. Miz is good people. But in Cleveland, it's funny. Here's the crazy part about being a Brown. It was the first time I felt like I was truly in the NFL. So I grew up a Bengals fan because my brother played there, right? And I get my first opportunity in the league with the Bengals. So it was a dream come true to be playing for my childhood team. But we're in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a very white-collar city, right? They got Procter & Gamble there. Um, you know, to that point, it's not like the Bengals have had a ton of success. Like recently, over so, the last 10 so years. It's odd that the airport is in Kentucky. It's in Kentucky, right? You fly into Kentucky. I lived sense. in Kentucky when I was in Cincinnati, like across the border. I the was Cincinnati airport is Erlanger, in Kentucky. Kentucky. It's in Kentucky. It, it is. It is. The CBG. And so it was like I, we had our – my last year there, we had a home game against the the – the San Diego, the then San Diego Chargers, and we didn't sell it out, right? And so when I get to Cleveland, now this is pre-LeBron James coming back, and I always say it looked like Pride Rock when Scar was like over <laughs> when I got there. But I'm like, you know what? All right, cool. We're, we're going we're gonna to dig in here. LeBron comes back. The flowers start growing. But once the season rolled around, like Brown's fandom was insane to me. And when you're in the city, and we were 7-4 and four to start that season yeah. – and it was LeBron was back, but the Browns were all anybody cared about. And because LeBron was there and because we were doing good and because we drafted Johnny Manziel, it was like a it was like a rock star era to be a Brown. It was great. And people cared. And honestly, like the same way people cared about the Patriots for being so good, they cared about the Browns for being so bad. So it didn't matter. Like they were going to talk about us all the time and I had not experienced that in Cincinnati because nobody cared. We were good yeah. and nobody talked about us. It is weird that the Browns have been covered more than you would think given their track record. They're always covered. It's it's odd. Is it just the lightning rods like Baker and, and Johnny at quarterback or is it the, the futility? Like what is it? 
I don't know. I think people were fascinated by how much they've lost, to be honest. And it's mm-hmm. like it's a it's a it's a case study that you kind of continue to drill in on. And even the storylines around it, from the Josh Gordons to yeah. the coaches leaving or getting fired or forcing their way out or trades or Deshaun or it's just a constantly in the news cycle. I would argue if you did like the data around it, the Browns are a top five talked about team easily. Oh, sure. They don't. My time in ESPN, they were, it's Cowboys, Pats, because uh, around the same time you had the deflate gate stuff, yep. Cowboys, Pats, Browns. Uh-huh. They, one of these things <laughs> doesn't <laughs> mesh with the others. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, again, I think that people are fascinated to like understand how the machine over there works. Yeah. In yeah. a sport that legislates parody. Yes. yes. It's <laughs> not like you can understand how the hard luck Cubs get into it because their their draft is a crapshoot. Yep. When the Browns have a, a, a reward system for being so bad and they were historically bad. Right. And they still fail at every turn. It makes you think what's going on at the top of the organization. And it makes you it you talk yourself into doom. Yep. Cursed franchise, nothing that we can ever touch will work out. And to a very large degree, that's still hovering over the franchise as Deshaun Watson's coming off his worst season. Yeah, it's, as it's a not pro. gone for sure. It's yeah. not, you can't make the case that it's yeah. over yeah. yet. Uh, speaking of over yet, Aiton, uh, he went viral, DeAndre mm-hmm. Aiton, for basically beating up on high school you never basketball be- players. You never partied before, uh, before a game. You were just like, no, homebody. No. No way, bro. Never took the opportunity like, hey, you're not going to believe who's out with the boys. I think I'm going to stay out a little bit later just for the story. Listen, Mike, I'm not kidding, man. The the One of the biggest reasons, the biggest reason I retired from the NFL was like, there's an anxiety that you get as a, the higher level you go, right? Like you're a really good high school player. And you might care because you want to go to college. You go to college, you're a better player. And you're like, you really care because you want to go to the NFL. Then you get to the NFL and everybody there has that kind of same anxiety and like will to be great. And like if you don't continue to push up, there's like a level you get to where that pressure just becomes too much, right? And so I got this second contract that we're doing well, and then we're losing. And it was like every practice felt like if I dropped a pass, the world was going to come down because perfection is like what they they preach. And on the outside, it's like yo, it's crazy, man. You played for the Browns, you guys sucked. There was nothing you ever could have done. To change that, yes, I understand that. But for a player, it's different. Not everybody is like that. Joe Thomas is like that, yeah. which is crazy because he's so good and always has been so good. I was very much the same way. So, like, my first year in Cleveland, bro, I did not literally talk to anybody. No. Like, that nah, wasn't man. the one random night where Drew Carey's out at the marble room Hell and he's just no, like, bro. we got dirty martinis, uh, <laughs> martinis on, on Drew Carey at the marble room. We're staying Hell out. No. If every opportunity I passed up on it. Busy bone is here. In my mind. <laughs> I'm running out of Cleveland luminaries. <laughs> Busy, bro. Like, yo, MGK is tearing it up downtown. You sure you don't want to go? MGK is actually yeah. my dog. But, no, I, like, every time I passed up on it. But everybody else didn't. Hmm. Everybody else on the team didn't, with the exception of, like, Joe Thomas, Joel Batonio. Uh, wait, the people that performed well, this is starting to track. <laughs> the good players just didn't. Yeah. Next thing you can tell me, Phil was. Dawson was just a homebody. Yeah. <laughs> There's like four players in the history of that it's new not, fran- reborn franchise that I trust. The NFL in. is not as party as you think it is. It's not the NBA. Like, NBA can kick it. NBA parties. They can kick it, man. Yeah. And it's a different it's a different vibe. Now, some players, absolutely, a lot of players kick it. Like, that's... All the other leagues party. All it, it's just hard International football, soccer bro. players, legendary partiers. Hockey legendary partiers they'll, they'll drink out of your shoe right now yeah there's just such a small volume of opportunities like and they mean so much mm-hmm. that i feel like a lot of players a majority of players are like yo i can't you know like i'm thinking about november football mm-hmm. in may like what i'm doing with my body in may legit affects what i how my body reacts in the third quarter of a november game specter of death specter of death right i'm like i'm trying not to get killed see the nba don't got to worry about that <laughs> yeah they don't got to worry about ray lewis running through your chest yeah right hockey or, players too do a degree but they're just so crazy enough that they welcome it yeah they're like this is kind of their 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 thing but even they don't get no they don't get it like 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 me going over i'm 170 pounds yeah going against people who are literally 300 pounds and as fast as i am yeah because you know what's what's scary and Deuce Vaughn, who has like been going viral for the for the for the Cowboys, and like, oh, this is crazy, five five. Size isn't scary in the NFL. That's not what's scary to anybody. What's scary to people is speed. 
It's why you're not scared of an elephant. Mm. But a cheetah, if he walked into the room now, you would be scared to death. Where you like, because you can't get away from them. You can't get away from a bear or a lion, or because they will catch you and then maul you. Yeah. Size and speed is the scariest. Um, but in the NFL, if like I'm not scared of guys that can't catch me. That's like my saving grace. But the speed of these guys, when they catch you, like a Palomalu, like there's not a lot of players like I would think in the middle of a game that hurt. When Palomalu hits you, you feel it. I didn't feel it against a lot of guys. Mm. When Palomalu hit me, it was like, yo, I'm going to feel this on Friday. Damn. And every time it was like that. Speed meets power. Speed meets power. Equals specter of death. Absolutely scary. Absolutely scary. Let's talk a little more NBA when we get back. We started to talk about DeAndre Ayton beating up on high school basketball players, and he's getting a little flack because they're like, oh, cool, bro, you're an NBA player. But it, I, I actually appreciate it because what I've, what I've figured out now that I'm old and washed is having a talent that has a, has a shelf life that you can, like, put on display sucks. I went, I went boxing the other day with a couple people that are part of my company, and they were like, man, your hands and feet move so fast. And I'm like, I forgot that they do that even at 40 years old because where do I show somebody that I'm good at football? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like the thing that I you like my to, whole you life to create is a video based around. Ga- you had to create a video game literally, to, like, to show like, people. To like make it realistic as possible. But that's true. Like there, those videos of Mike Tyson so go viral of him just hitting the speed bag. And when does he get to do that? Like, Because mm-hmm. he's not going to box all the time. No. He's like 60 years old. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I actually appreciate DeAndre Ayton balling out on high school players at the moment because at some point his knees aren't going to allow him to show that he is a different level athlete. Not with you on this. Do you no. remember? It, it's actually a forgotten storyline. People, what went viral was for the Phoenix Suns team that he was on was how they were hyping themselves up before they lost by like a gajillion points to the Mavericks. Uh-huh. But do you remember the previous year when they made the NBA Finals, what they did after they won the Western Conference? I don't. What happened? They went on a parade. <laughs> they did a makeshift parade. No one's ever gone on a parade with that little sad conference champion ball. And I call it sad as someone that's won, uh, that supports a team that's won that two out of the last three years. Oh, okay. Congrats. Yes. You know what I do with that? You no. make the player who did it the greatest Heat player to ever play, but whatever. Go <laughs> he ahead. still hasn't Continue. touched it. It doesn't matter to him. Okay. Bam's the only guy that touches it. If you want <laughs> you really to try to really look into what's going on there. <laughs> More but conspiracy. there's just like a weird mentality with that Phoenix team. I, I can't get it. And it's just going to get even more screwy now with KD. Hopefully it's a little bit better for them now that Paul's out of there. But those those Phoenix guys are odd. Are they? They're odd. They got a nice little lineup, though. They got Devin Booker. They got you're quite, KD. You're quite they right. They have a nice Brent little lineup because they got Beal. like four players. Yeah, they got little lineup. <laughs> yeah. They got to do a lot. Yeah. Well, it's a bold move for a team that ha- was undone by depth to just reduce your roster size to five actual NBA players. Dude, are they better or worse than last year? I mean, I think they were so hamstrung by these contracts, DeAndre Ayton being one of them, and we'll see uh-huh. if they can actually turn that into anything that they found a way to upgrade their roster mm-hmm. uh, with not a lot of paths to do so. So mm-hmm. if you have an owner that seems to be eager to impress his fan base, and he's done a lot of things. If I were a Phoenix Suns owner, I love. Uh, if I were a Phoenix Suns fan, I'd love the direction of the franchise that my owner's going in because he's shown a propensity to not care about the tax. He is uh, making games readily available uh, for his fan base, trying mm-hmm. to not put them behind paywalls. He, if, if, to my knowledge, hasn't increased season ticket prices or anything like that. I'd be pretty excited. Yeah. Th- in my mind, I just swapped Chris Paul, who's always hurt and aging and considered a bad contract, for a younger player in Bradley Beal, mm-hmm. who when paired with one of the most coachable players in the history of the NBA, Kevin Durant, probably has a higher ceiling. So I'd be, I'd be pretty pumped. The mentality, mentality, the mentality of the old guard. They got new players in there, but half of their lineup is still those guys that went in that damn parade after they won the Western (laughs) Conference and Aiton and Devin Booker. You're not for it. Speaking of uh, up up in the roster, the Milwaukee Bucks have re-signed Giannis's brother, Mm -hmm. and they'll sign all of his brothers if he asks them to. Do you think that he deserves that? Yeah, you think he deserves it? Yes. yes, Yeah. Yeah. Why? Giannis deserves it, or the brother deserves it? Giannis deserves it. No. How how do you pronounce his name? Is it? Thiannis? 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 
It's the other Antetokounmpo. brother. Antetokounmpo. You pronounce it the other brother. Giannis's yeah. brother. Yeah, you pronounce it Giannis's brother. He's yeah. not. He's not a good. He's not a good player. But Giannis has earned the right to <laughs> to, to make a couple hires. I'm trying to think of other like package deals that happen like that in like just sports history. Joe Thomas, Andrew Hawkins. Obviously. Done. <laughs> you would you would have found your ass would have been on the Denver Broncos if he accepted that trade. That's why I was pissed about it. I'm like, Joe, how could you do this to us? This yeah. is a they were like Andrew Hawkins and Joe Thomas. Yeah. What kind of package is that? I mean, that? we're seeing it in MLS. Messi's just signing all of his friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, Thanasis is is how you pronounce it. I, I think important correction. If you're a fan, <laughs> how do you feel about Thanasis continuing to, to up I, his contract. I, I, think well, he, I think he averaged 1.4 points I, I am, last year. I am a fan of Inter Miami. I'm a season ticket holder, and mm-hmm. I'm of the notion give Messi whatever he wants. Okay. If you want to sign a 48 year old Iniesta, go for it because it's what the best player in the world wants, and you support them as such. Yeah. And, it, and it works out. I know from a resale market value, I'm deeply appreciative. And if we want to play Messi's brother on the flank, I'd go for it. Hell, if we want to play Giannis's brother, if Messi sees fit, <laughs> I would do so too. Carson Palmer, uh, his brother Jordan was the backup for the Bengals for a yeah. long time, and it was. Are like, you familiar with the? It was it predates apps, but are you familiar with the uh, the website that he created? Which one? No, which one? Jordan was it? Jordan Palmer created. I think it's. He's called, created a lot of what he's a, like a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, I think it's called GoPee or something like that. It was oh. the, the whole website was based on. It would watch movies and it would tell you the exact moment that you can get up and go to the bathroom. Genius. I don't know why I didn't reach. I think we're overstating genius, which is why he's pivoted to just coaching (laughs) up other quarterbacks. Jordan, call us. We got to figure out. We got to get to the bottom of GoP.com and why it didn't reach the the level that X.com has in in today's day and age. Uh, The other thing is they had a lot of celebrity friends, which connected to the the Aiton conversation. Like we've seen like Adam Sandler uh, play basketball. I'm of the the opinion that I don't think Adam Sandler is good at basketball. And I hate when we have these conversations because we also had the same conversation on Journeyman about J. Cole. And what happens is Meadowlark um, will tweet this out and they will tag everyone that I talk about in that to make sure they see it and ensure <laughs> that, hey, I don't get invited to Dreamfest. I don't get any Adam Sandler movies. But somebody was talking to me about hustle. And, you know, everybody knows that Adam Sandler is a huge hoops fan. He hoops with NBA players. He goes to games and all that. And I just have a high bar for telling people they're good at like anything and i'm like i don't think adam you're Sandler, criticizing j cole's release i don't think j cole it is a slow release it's a slow release <laughs> it's a slow release but for professional athlete standards we got to keep it we got to yeah. keep it a buck at some yeah. point i'm a huge j cole fan of his music and honestly his love for basketball so and all not, of that you're not but a fan I'm of like, our social media direction because i am also i've been doing this for a while and i am also uh, really nervous about the reckoning that I have to do with my own words because I have my convictions. Yeah, but I don't want you to tag Aaron Rodgers when I exactly. say exactly like if when I, I say, say what that guy does not know what a good coach is. <laughs> like <laughs> he's not supposed to hear me say that. He like he shouldn't know. Like this is a Twitter account and this is the person <laughs> that said these words that I had no idea about. Until you just tagged me and I seen it in my mentions. Yeah, tag t- tag him, but make sure parenthetically. Exactly. Sports content is largely performative. Mike yes, is just saying we got a, a thing show. to yeah, I'm just I'm just doing a thing. I have to talk a lot and I don't I don't know like what's good coaching, but seriously, Hawk, do you think I'm asking you on the real like does Aaron Rodgers know what a good coach is? Does he know what a good coach is? I think a good, a good coach, coach is? to Aaron Rodgers is whoever listens to whatever the hell he says. That's why he loves Hackett so That's much. That's why he loves Hackett because Hackett will do whatever the hell he tells him to do and cuz I mean objectively, Sean Payton was right. Like yeah. we don't typically see coaches talk like that. Do you that. know how impressive it is to push Freddie Kitchens out of the way for worst coach ever? <laughs> like it, it that quickly, it was it was terrible, right? And yes, Russell played bad, but the was coaching was good. horrible. There was nothing good. Every move that he made was just laughable hacking in Denver. And even like layman. we've seen first year coaches win four games and not get fired no. and like have something to build on and continue to go, but that's how bad the job that he did was and Aaron Rodgers it just doesn't. I don't believe you. I don't think you know. Who's what, the best coach Aaron Rodgers has had in his career? I think it's Mike McCarthy. McCarthy? I think it might be Mike McCarthy. I yeah. I mean, they won a Super LaFleur Bowl. Lafleur shown so me nothing. You don't think Lafleur has shown LaFleur, you anything? Lafleur has shown you the same kind of mismanagement in the playoffs that, that McCarthy has. But they. But he won two MVPs for Aaron Rodgers as a coach. They well, won two MVPs under Lafleur. What McCarthy did in that NFC Championship game against Seattle 
to me, is the single most egregious offense in coaching that I've seen at the high level mm-hmm. in terms of like a championship is on the line. This is legacy building stuff. They were so good in that game early on. And he coached so scared after they built that lead that it genuinely cost Aaron Rodgers a title that year. 100% did. 100% did. And for me to say that's probably the best coach Aaron Rodgers has ever had. I'm including Jeff Tedford in this too. Yeah. Because Jeff Tedford got the shine because he he was surrounded by Aaron Rodgers and you see the performances of those teams. I'm genuinely asking, does he know what a good coach is? I, I want to know at what point I feel like we give Aaron Rodgers a pass and he is great and he is super talented, but for his talent, he does not have the Super Bowls that should he equal how good and no. great he is, right? Like Betrayed Patrick by, Mahomes has two. And right. yes, he has. Betrayed know. by coaching. Betrayed by coaching. Do you think it's betrayed by coaching? Because unlike Sean Payton, which I, I actually found that conversation because you don't see coaches go at one another like that. Mm-hmm. Sean Payton, yes, he got done in by one of the worst calls in, in NFL history against the Vikings. But Sean Payton has lost a lot of playoff games flatly. He's lost a lot of home playoff games. And he's lost a lot of uh, playoff games in which he was a large, large favorite. When I look at Aaron Rodgers and I – Look at the balance of his seasons. Yet, San Francisco had his number. Absolutely. You can look at the San Francisco losses in particular and say, maybe you had better teams there. But San Francisco went on runs, deep runs, those years that they beat them Mm -hmm. and proved themselves to be in the conversation as best team in the NFL. I don't really see many times in his career where I'm like, yeah, you should have had that title that year. When you think about the hype and how good those Saints teams were in the regular season and their home field advantages. Sean Payton has had more embarrassing losses. Like Sean Payton is a guy. Sean Payton is a guy that should have more than one. When we're talking about Aaron Rodgers and Sean Payton, Sean yeah. Payton should have more. He had oh, better no, they, teams. They definitely are a, a formidable opponent for each other because Sean Payton has had way too many seven win seasons with Drew Brees. So I get and understand that. But for Aaron Rodgers and any great quarterback. Like, I feel like it's always somebody else's fault. And typically, when you're talking about the greatest quarterbacks, which we put Aaron in that that demographic, they don't speak like that. They don't. It's always somebody else. Like, it's always like, oh, I don't have the players. I don't have the coaches. Yeah. The front office doesn't do this. They don't do that. Like, you don't hear that from Tom Brady. You don't hear that from Drew Brees. You don't hear that from Patrick Mahomes. You don't hear that. The list goes on and on. And so for Aaron Rodgers, I'm like, all the elements can't be perfect if we're paying you all the money. Yep. Right? If you're the guy, you got to make sugar out of shit sometimes. That's just the reality of being one of the greats. Yeah, and Drew Brees, I think, kind of stepped into that early on when he was talking about other players' contracts, like Jimmy Graham. Like, man, I really hope that we can resign him. He's a great weapon. We're so much better without him, without the self-awareness that we can't pay him because we're paying you. Right, right, exactly. Well, that does it for this episode of Journeyman, brought to you by the good folks at the DraftKings Network and Metal Arc Media. Shout out to my guy, Mike Ryan, for joining us today. Make sure you journey back next week, same time, same place. And until then, wake up. It's the first of the month. Cash your checks and come on. Come on.